strategy, design, marketing, UX, digital, development. This is Agencies That Build. This show is dedicated to leaders and teams that design and deploy in the digital world. My name is Jesse, and I'm a marketer and an agency owner. And I'm Varun. I'm not a marketer, but a coder and an agency partner. This show is sponsored by Together We Ship. On a mission to help agencies grow. All right, rock on. Here we are. Varun, my friend, how are you? What's up? What's I'm, new? I'm great. New. Well, snow is new. I know we haven't talked about weather in a while, and I'm so excited to go to uh, Florida this week because there's so much, it's so much cold here. We yeah. have such a mild winter. It's, <laughs> and it's like cold is very relative these days, I think. Yeah, so, it's true. It's winter. It's true. So, it's true. Anyways, who do we have well, today? Well, I feel like before I introduce our first guest, I feel like we should have the weather report with Varun and Jesse at the beginning of every single one of these episodes. So um, it's fun and exciting. All right. So our guest um, is also located here in the Boston area. So I'm excited. Uh, somebody that I've known for a while. I know she's new to you and new to some of our listeners. So that's good. She has over 15 years experience in B2B marketing, amongst other things. She's a natural communicator with expertise in content marketing and brand messaging. She is married to her high school sweetheart. She's a, a woman of twos, two dogs, two cats, and two kids. So <laughs> she's the founder and CEO of Megawatt, Meg Scarborough. Welcome to the podcast, my friend. Meg. Thank you so much. I'm super happy to be here. We're happy to have you. So you're enjoying the cold weather as well. Oh, I've got <laughs> my toe warmers here. <laughs> so when nice. my feet get freezing. For those of you listening, yeah. she just showed us these, like, if you don't know, they're like crunchy toe warmer thingies that you like crunch up and you stick in your socks. We used to use them skiing. So, yeah. all right. I use them just sitting at my desk. <laughs> there you go. I have the, the, the electric fireplace in here is on. So Perfect. let's dive in. So Mar myth busting question. What is some sort of myth kind of bogus strategy misconception that you would like to set the record straight on? What do you got? Sure. All right. So my myth is that you need to be able to code yourself to write well about software. Um, I think that a lot of folks believe that if you aren't a coder yourself, then it's really difficult to write about software. The truth is a lot of folks on our team actually have taken coding classes. I've taken some coding classes just to understand a little bit more about what it's like to be a practitioner. But my belief and my uh, busting of this myth is that just like any good journalist, you don't need to be able to do the thing necessarily to be able to write well about it. You need to be a really good listener. You need to be a really good interviewer. You need to be a really good writer. And you need to be able to connect the dots between seemingly unrelated ideas. So I don't think you actually have to code to be able to write intelligently about code. Varun, uh, I'm going to pitch this. How do you feel about that? Would you, you're nodding for those watching. That's quite interesting because I do come from the technology background. I used to code and it's interesting to hear the way you say it because I'm, I'm partially, you know, in complete agreement to you. Like, you know, when you want to write about code, you don't have to write, like you don't have, you don't have to actually do the coding yourself. But mm -hmm. at the same time, it does give you a different perspective when you are a coder yourself, when you're writing it, all the, you know, different nuances about the mm -hmm. code does come up when you are practicing it. 
right? And then Definitely. the deeper you go, the deeper you know about the way that it connects the dots, and then you can write better. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious to know what, what do you mean when you want to write about the code? When you say, like, as a from, from the you know, uh, perspective of the programming in general from the marketing standpoint, or you're mm-hmm. talking about something else? Like, can you elaborate on that so that I have a better understanding? Yeah, definitely. So um, a lot of our clients, you know, the the end users who are reading the content we're producing are actually soft develop, software developers themselves. Um, and so one of the things that we like to do as much as possible is spend time with the software developers who are actually producing the code, um, who are actually writing the software who are behind the scenes and really like building the product themselves. But I think that if you're asking really smart questions um, and if you're really focused in this area and you're writing about it a lot, that you don't necessarily have to have your hands on the keyboard coding yourself. Certainly, we always tell clients, you know, if there's a code snippet that needs to be inside a blog post, for example, we can really help with shaping the story around that code snippet, but you're going to need a developer to write the snippet itself. But when it comes to writing intelligently about software, I think it's really just about, you know, understanding how computing works, how the internet works, things like that, that, um, you know, the more you research and the more you spend time in that area. And that's, that's really why as an agency, we've focused on a couple of core niches so that our writers can spend the time to get to understand those nuances as well as possible. And then I think it's just being a really good interviewer and asking really smart questions about those nuances and um, never feeling like you're done learning. Yeah, yeah. Would you be able to share some examples of how you have done that? I don't want to put you on the spot, but I don't know if you, because I mean, we, we share this similar experience with, we have a content team as well, and they, mm-hmm. and we're a software company. And we have this challenge all the time with, we want to write as a thought leader in the mm-hmm. technology space, and our writers don't have the technical background. So mm-hmm. they interview the coders, they interview, they talk the, to the project managers, developers, and what have you done? How technical was it? What was the technical problem you were solving? Mm-hmm. Um, and then combine that with the business solution, right? Exactly. But the technical piece, sometimes it comes out, sometimes it doesn't. So we kind of struggle with that. And if you are able mm-hmm. to do that successfully, that's actually pretty awesome. And I would love to know what is the, process behind that when you say asking the right questions right what are those Mm -hmm. questions that you ask that can actually help the writer understand and write technical problem in a way that the non-technical person can understand at the same time yeah yeah it's a great question so I would say a great example um, we have a client we've worked with for something like oh gosh I think they're our longest standing client so four or five years something like that Um, And they often have their engineers writing about um, mobile app development and some particular challenge that they've been able to solve. They have a big open source component. So they're often writing about, you know, here's this open source solution that we've come up with to this specific problem. But often when we get the piece, um, you know, that the engineer has at least started to write, written an outline or written like the basics of it, there's not kind of that tie back to what's the overall, what's the point, right? Like what's the overall business story we're trying to tell? What's the overall um, why behind this? And so I think it's our job at that point to ask them, 
you know, why, why does this particular solution matter to your audience and how are we going to, how are we going to tie it back to the bigger story that we're trying to tell for the brand and how are we going to make sure that we're offering both, you know, really, really helpful code that, you know, a software developer can take and incorporate into whatever project they're working on without losing that bigger, broader story. So I think it's, it's really just asking lots of questions about kind of why, why does this matter? Why is this a big deal? Why is this a unique solution? That's, uh, yeah. That's Do you think it goes back to having creative briefs? So like, you know, comments, you know, as a, as a, marketer or a creative person, whatever that would look like. I think going back to creating quality content, it's the what's in it to your point, the what's in it for you, you know, me as a consumer, but also like who the target audience development piece of it, like who is it going to be consuming is how deep do we need to go with this piece of content? And I guess my question for you on that, Meg, based on your experience, is it junior writers, senior writers, like how do you, how do you guys dig into that to make sure that you're you know, cause there can be, there's experience with interviewing. Not everybody can do it. You know, yes. like what are your, what are some of your thoughts on that in terms of, and I know we're diving right in for those who are listening, Meg. Yeah, I hope know, that's okay. <laughs> what's a, what's a, the one-liner that you guys do at Megawatt is content and branding. Um, and you know, for B2B companies, if I'm not mistaken, you work really closely yep. with a lot of technical folks <laughs> to be able to support them. We do, we do. Companies, I think that's the key here. She, they, you know, I mean, Meg can talk about it better than me about her company, but I think what they're doing is pretty amazing. Yeah, so we, like I said, we focus on a few core niches. Um, cybersecurity is probably the biggest niche that we focus on. Um, and I think part of what cybersecurity has in common with software development, other than, you know, your code needs to be secure, right? And DevSecOps is a huge trend. Um, so there's really not, there's there's a lot of blurred lines there these days, um, which is a good thing in my opinion. But um, we focus on really technical areas and our team is really specialized in those areas. So um, to your question about, is it junior writers who are doing this kind of work? Is it senior writers who are doing this kind of work? We try to make sure that everyone on the team is well-versed enough that they can interview a subject matter expert intelligently. We keep a, a really robust set of interview questions, and we do a lot of like interview training. We do role-playing to teach people how to be better interviewers, because I think that's that's really where it comes down to. Again, like if you if you think like a reporter, right? A reporter doesn't have to understand, you know, exactly how to, let's say we're talking about, you know, testing water or something like that, something really nerdy and in the weeds. They don't necessarily need to understand how to like go out in the field and test water for chemicals or something like that, but they need to understand how to ask intelligent questions that tie things to the bigger picture. And I think that's really the core skill set that we focus on teaching all of our writers from junior all the way up to senior. So like as an agency, you guys would say you have a pretty, you know, your bench of people, I guess Mm -hmm. maybe bench isn't the right word, but I'll use it in this case. You know, the bench of people is you do have a range of senior and junior and there's, you know, Mm -hmm. from a training perspective and a growth perspective, you know, as an agency owner, how do you kind of foster that? It sounds like you do do training, you do do mentoring, you do all of that stuff. I guess my question around that would be like tips, tricks from that or the things that you found, you know, as an agency owner from a growth perspective, what's really worked for you guys? Is it a combination of things? You know, can you talk to us a little bit. We have gone left field from our in 
original plan of this conversation. I hope that's okay again. That's fine. Yeah. So I think one of the things that's really key for us is being able to hire remotely. We started, I started Megawatt in the middle of COVID, like smack in the middle of COVID. And my plan was always to hire remotely so that I could hire people who already think this way and already have some of the skill sets at least in place. And being able to just hire somebody, whether they're in Hawaii or Puerto Rico or California or Florida, literally we have people all over the U.S. and people who globe trot and people who live in mobile RVs. We're hiring people for some of those inherent skills um, around interviewing and around being curious. Curious is something that we always look for in the interview process. I think any good writer or reporter is curious by nature um, and growth oriented as well. So those are some of the big, like, I don't know, intangibles that we look for. And then beyond that, you know, experience writing for B2B tech um, and writing for the niches that we write for. Beyond that, we do a ton of training. So we have um, a Monday meeting every single week, actually, um, which I have heard from other agencies is a little unusual. So we have an all hands every single Monday and every other one includes a training. We record every single training we do, and we use Trainual to um, keep track of them. We build quizzes to make sure we're checking for understanding. So we're super serious about training. We also like to bring in experts um, in the industries that we work in so that um, folks on our team can ask questions, you know, outside of client interactions as well. And yeah, we also have a culture of there's no stupid question shadowing is a big part of what we do. So listening in on the first few interviews before you really dive in on your own is a big part of how we think about it. But I think it really just comes down to building it into the DNA of your agency or your company, making sure that training is is always prioritized, even when it's not necessarily something you can build back to the client, right? But it's really important because it helps us do fantastic work for our clients. I want to switch the gears a little bit. Everybody's talking about AI these days and not only the cars, but also in producing content, which is getting me right to the question that I want to ask you, how are you feeling about it? It's, you know, right looking at you as as at your business. Mm -hmm. Everybody's talking about how AI is changing the way the content is going to be produced and I've used some of the tools myself and what they produce is pretty mind blowing. So what are you, what are your thoughts around AI? Where do you see it's going from the content generations perspective and overall future of this industry as whole? Yeah. So I think one of the things that puts us in kind of an interesting position as an agency is that we work with a lot of AI machine learning clients and we work with a lot of what I would say are like more data science clients or data analytics or cybersecurity clients who have been using AI and machine learning to build their products for a really long time, much longer than we've seen the conversation around AI and copywriting and content. So I think we've had the opportunity to to get this point of view of AI isn't taking away people's jobs, it's helping them do their jobs better. And that's true across a 
really wide variety of industries and has been. I think a lot of people are using AI every single day and don't even realize they are. You know, you're using AI when you're shopping online, you're using AI when you're using your CRM system and you don't think about it because it's not in your face. I think when chat GPT came to the forefront and finally became something that anybody could touch and use, especially because it is geared towards marketers and copywriters who are people who just have a lot to say, right? Naturally, all of a sudden it's this huge conversation about, well, is it going to take our jobs? Is it good? Is it bad? And I don't think it's really either of those things. I think like any technology, it can be used in a good way. It can be used in a bad way that ultimately hurts, you know, the online experience for everyone. I think it's really, really early days. Like we're just starting to see Microsoft and Google duke it out. I don't think we know exactly how it's going to change the content marketing field. I know it's going to change the content marketing field, but I don't think it's going to put anyone who's thinking intelligently about AI out of a job by any means. I think it's just like it has in a lot of other industries. So I think cybersecurity is a perfect example, right? Like there's so much talk of alert fatigue and the cybersecurity talent shortage. And AI is one of those tools that when you're using it well, can alleviate some of those problems that are really, really difficult, intractable problems to address in any other way. So I think that's ultimately what's going to happen with content, right? Like it's it's hard to scale up content right now, especially with all of the layoffs that have been happening. There's still so much experimentation to be done before we really understand what's the most effective way for us to be using AI and machine learning in, in content, but I'm not really concerned that it's coming for our jobs. (laughs) There's a couple of things you said in there that are interesting um, around, you know, it not coming from our jobs, which is totally true. But I think, I think the way that we consume content can be influenced by the rise of this, you know, so, you know, the pay, like everybody being home, I'd be curious to see if somebody did a study around, you know, our patients in terms of consuming content. You know, if you look Mm. at the news and the shift in the news and there's coming, I saw an advertisement locally here. I don't know if you guys saw it, but there was a news channel that's like, oh, we are really, we're unbiased news. I'm like, really? Are you really unbiased news? <laughs> and where does that lie with, you know, is AI, like, how do we help, how do we create content that's validated that's actually real? Are we going to yes. have to, like with Amazon affiliate links, when that first came out many, many years ago, people had to say they had rules and regulations around, if you're going to include an affiliate link in your marketing, you have to do X, Y, and Z, otherwise they block you. I bet you we're going to see some regulations around content. I this was written too. by AI with editing by a human. This was mm-hmm. actually written by a human and it's an opinion piece. I think those are the kinds of things that we're going to see. And what will be interesting is the creative renders of human speaking that don't look like humans that are mm-hmm. then reporting like video content. How is that going to influence mm-hmm. some of this stuff? So the, again, whole nother podcast right here. <laughs> yes. 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 Definitely. So, yeah, I, I, I want to follow up on the, how much content we as a user consume, because there is I mean, so you, your business is basically about producing content for your clients to help them with branding, with promotions, with thought leadership, all of that. Mm-hmm. So my question, and I always think about that, I mean, how much, how much content do we need in, these, in today's world, right? It's a how, great question. You're running your entire business on just producing content, and there is mm-hmm. enough content out there. How do you think about that? How do you, 
foresee what type of content is needed. How mm-hmm. can you differentiate your content versus what already exists? Because that's the only way I think you can, I mean, you as a business or anybody who is in the business of writing content can yeah. find the attraction, the value, the, the need that the user may have. So uh, this is uh, amazes me all, all the time. Like, you know, we have hundreds of social media posts being posted, like thousands, millions, right? Every day, tweets, so LinkedIn posts, yeah. blogs. It's just so confusing. I mean, how, and, and to Jesse's point, how do you know that this is truth? Like, I mean, that's actually, let's say, keep that separate. Like plagiarism yeah. is definitely totally def- different topic, but how to, think, yeah. how to think about producing content and make it mm-hmm. stand out? How do you... How yeah. Do you know yeah, so... When I think about what we do as an agency, there's there's really three key aspects of it. And production is probably where we spend the most time, but we never start a client engagement without a strategy, right? So, and part of that strategy often is doing a content audit to understand what they've already produced, what their competitors have already produced, where there's holes in the market, you know? So where are there, where are there questions that haven't been answered or haven't been answered effectively and how can we plug those gaps? I think content marketing at its is really about being helpful. And so looking for those opportunities to be helpful, I think is really the key. And then analytics are also just incredibly important. You need to know, is your content performing really well? Are you getting tons of engagement and tons of eyeballs? Or are you getting really high engagement, but not a lot of traffic and you need to think more about distribution? Do you need to be thinking more about repurposing the content that you're already producing? Um, I think that's another big part of it too, is, you know, you shouldn't be thinking about producing a piece of content, putting it up on your site, and then that's the end, right? Distribution is in many ways a bigger part of what you're doing. Um, And then repurposing and finding ways to get that message in front of different audiences, whether it is on social media um, or other um, platforms like that. So I think you're right. I think there is a lot of content out on the internet. I think I would argue that there's probably not too much content yet. I don't think there's actually probably ever going to be too much content. You walk into a library, right? And like, there's a book written on everything. And there's a book for anyone who is interested in any subject. Um, I think it's the same online. It's just always having that lens of being helpful and adding positive value to the conversation, not just adding more words to the internet, which is really the last thing we need if we're not being thoughtful about it. Or the latest set of words to the internet, you know, yes. it's like the, the timeliness, you look at an article from 2015, you're like, oh, that's more than five years. I don't care. What's the most right. recent version? Yeah. Right. Exactly. So exactly. let's talk a little bit about your origin story. Like, how did you get into this? Yeah. So I'm a writer by nature, always have been um, since I can remember. And when I started my career, it was right after the uh, big 2008-2009 crash and there were no jobs out there. I thought I wanted to be a teacher. That's kind of a natural direction people push you if you're a writer-reader type. And I spent a year teaching and quickly realized it was not for me. But I've always had an interest in tech, always my whole life, just always been fascinated by how it changes our lives and how it evolves. And so I started working at a tech company, 
I loved it, but I wanted to get broader exposure. And I realized that an agency was just the absolute best way you could get exposure to as many different types of companies and um, technologies and ways of doing things as possible. And so I went to work at an agency. I was there for about four years and then started to get the itch to build something of my own. Um, I think I've also kind of had this like entrepreneurial aspect to my personality as well. And so I, I left the agency and started a consulting practice. And I did that for a long time, for about seven years. And then again, that entrepreneurial itch started to come at me again. And this is again, mid COVID, but I was very, very fortunate that I was working with so many um, cybersecurity companies and compliance companies who were a big part of the migration from working in an office to working from home and doing it securely. And so suddenly there were just leads upon leads out there. And I started to think about, you know, and all these marketers who had gotten laid off too in the midst of COVID. And so I started to get this, this kind of itch to build a business and ultimately it turned into an agency because um, I think that's what I knew how to do that became Megawatt. So we've been around for about two years as an agency now. And yeah, so that's kind of how I got here. So in some ways it was accidental, but in a lot of ways, as I kind of look back at the choices that led me here, it makes a lot of sense. I love the accidental agency owner. I feel like, I feel like we've done so many episodes where we could bucket like some of our agency people into like, it's really you know, common. The owner. there's people who go out and they're like purposefully like, this is a thing I'm building. I can't work for somebody else. There's the people who are like, Oh, that sounds like fun. Let's do that. You know, it's just, it's interesting how we all kind mm -hmm. of fall into a various category. So tell us a little bit about your process and saying yes to clients. Like, how do you know somebody is the right fit for you? Oh, I love that. You know, one time I had a client ask, what would make us a good client for you? And I Ooh, think that's that was a good question. That, that just good blew client. my mind. I was like, well, the fact that you asked that question tells me you would be an awesome client, like in and of itself. But I think the things that we look for, right, we are a really values-driven company. We talk about our values in our Monday meetings every single week. So we have a set of five core values and then five behaviors that we think about kind of fitting underneath those core values, which is a very Brene Brown thing. I'm a big Brene Brown fan. We look for partners who share our values, who are also curious and growth-minded and, um, you know, want to do creative work. We look for clients who already understand the value of content and recognize how it impacts revenue, why the ROI on content is so high. If we're aligned already on that, it usually starts us off on the right foot and kind of guarantees that it's going to be a good long-term relationship. And then I would say that's that's probably the third thing is somebody who wants to build a long-term relationship, who wants to see us as part of their team and bring us into the fold as deeply as possible. So give us as much access to their subject matter experts as possible, to their um, execs as possible, somebody who's willing to share their analytics with us so we can understand what's working and what's not working. So the more I get the sense that they want a partner, the more I uh, believe that we're probably going to be a good fit to work together. I'm curious to know what are some of the key metrics that you show to your clients to show them the value that you are producing for the work for which they are paying you what are yeah. they what do they look for and what do you you know 
have them because sometimes people don't know what they don't know. So you, when you come in mm-hmm. as an expert, you want mm-hmm. to, you know, share and make sure that their investment is being bent in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a great question. So I would say and this is a, probably an obvious answer, but it's different for every single client. It yeah. depends a lot on who they're selling to. So obviously there's a huge difference between, you know, a SaaS model where you're selling in from the bottom up versus an enterprise sales model. We're going to be measuring really different things when it comes to content for those types of different business models. Or, you know, there's lots of companies out there that have both business models and we need to be thinking about KPIs for different types of buyer life cycles. We increasingly push our clients to think about the marketing funnel is something that's kind of going away. It's it's just not as relevant as it used to be because people don't consume content in this like hyper linear way. They don't start at brand awareness and then move to consideration and then move to decision making. They really hop all around and they probably consume. I think the stat is like eight to 10 pieces of content on average before they make a buying decision. This is just in the world of B2B tech specifically. Um So to answer your question, it depends a lot on the clients, but often we want to think about brand awareness because if nobody has ever heard of you and nobody knows you exist, then you're never going to get that downstream effect that you're looking for. All the way downstream, we're looking at things like you know, priority assisted conversion. So um, did somebody consume this blog post and then ultimately buy your product? I would say, you know, one of the things that we also look for in a a good client partner is how much access are you going to give us to your analytics, right? So can we see your Google analytics? Will you share your HubSpot reports with us? How much of those, you know, signals that you're paying attention to, can we get access to as well? Because we can kind of guide you towards understanding which pieces of content are actually impacting buying decisions. But yeah, revenue is what really matters. Like, let's be honest. Um, If you're not seeing revenue from content, then you shouldn't be investing in content. But I think it's the rare B2B tech company who can't see direct revenue impacts from content. It's really just a matter of, are you producing the right types of content? Are you putting it in the right places? And then, yeah, are you measuring the right things? We're definitely you know, increasingly seeing clients who don't want to gate things. And I think that's, um, I think that's the direction that we're ultimately going to move in less focus on leads and marketing qualified leads and things like that. And more focus on brand at, at a high level, making sure that people have heard of you, thought leadership, all that kind of thing, which can be squishy and difficult to, to measure. Clients need to need to understand that there are going to be aspects of content marketing that are just difficult to measure, but Ultimately, if you're getting those demo requests, if you're getting those sales call requests, I think those are those are kind of where content marketing um, starts to tie really closely to revenue. So yeah, and then we just we look for we look for companies that are as mature as possible when it comes to measurement on their side because there's always going to be things that only they have access to and only they can see. And the more they can tell us this is working, this is not working, and the more we can say, okay, well let's let's repurpose this or let's refresh this or let's stop doing content like this because it's clearly not um, achieving the goals that you want to achieve. The more we get those analytics and the more we can tie them directly to content, the more we can be smart about um, steering them in the right direction. So I don't know that totally answers your question, but hopefully. I mean, that was a good answer, but it also had so many pieces that I want to 
talk more about because this is very, very important discussion these days that everybody's thinking about, especially people who are in this space, right? Like how do you measure the success of the marketing yeah. efforts? Everybody yes. is doing some marketing, but they don't know what is what is it doing. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, we, let's not dive into that. Let's move on. You know, sure. Yeah, yeah. I'll give you I'll give you one last example before we move on. I think one thing that we've been seeing with our business, we've really been um, putting effort into doing content marketing for ourselves. So fighting that cobbler's shoes problem that so many agencies have, and for a long time, the vast vast majority of our uh, new clients would come from referrals, which I think is fantastic, right? Like if we're doing a good job and somebody wants to pass on a new client to us because of that, great. But we're seeing more and more clients come to us through SEO. Um, and that tells me that what we're doing is working. Um, I get excited every single time we get a lead that's like, we found your website from a search. I'm like, yes, great. Let's keep doing that content. So um, yeah, we're trying to eat our own dog food. Drink your own champagne. Nobody wants oh, to Oh, I like that even better. Steal it, take it, drink your own champagne. Again, I'm not <laughs> eating dog food. He's not eating dog food. Like... What's a, as an agency owner, what's, what would you say is the biggest mistake you made? I'm going to flip the script. We talked a lot about good yeah. stuff that you do and you do differently, but. I think the biggest mistake I made when I first started building the agency was thinking that I could do hiring on my own. I did not realize how hard it is to hire the right people. And I made the first couple of hires for our agency and quickly realized that I was not very good at it. And the people we hired were you know, awesome, but not, not a great fit for where we were as an agency. And so the third hire I made was a people ops person. And that was me correcting the mistake that I had made in thinking that as a CEO, that was a good place for me to be spending my time. So I learned that lesson pretty quickly is the good news. That's, that's a good answer. I feel like that's, that's a whole, again, a whole nother, like, how do you hire? Oh my goodness. A lot of what your agency is built on is the people that you bring in, you know, that's entirely the, the, the joy of being in an agency and the agency life is like, are you producing good work versus mm-hmm. um, that is pleasing what the client's needs are in terms of our purpose in the world. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's, um, it's an, it, that's not what I expected you to say. I don't know what I expected, but that was a, that's a good answer. <laughs> so it's a full-time job in itself, you know, to, it is find people, hire them, interview them, but also to keep them engaged and motivated. I mean, as a leader, you can only do so much. But as the agency grows, I mean, you know, it's just so much work to, and people are your assets and you need to put your hundred percent into it. So um, I can totally relate to that, you know? Yes. So we've talked about a lot of things in our chat today. We've jumped all over the place. Let's um, <laughs> let's talk about the future. What's what's what are you looking forward to? You know, outside yeah. of some nicer weather in the near future. But oh yes, please! It was what's, snowing this morning, but it was like yeah. bad snow that doesn't stick. I'm like, come on! It's school vacation. Give me something my kids can sled in. <laughs> no thanks. Um, <laughs> I know, right? At the same time, it's like, could it be May now? What am I excited about? I So we just built an innovation group internally, um, and we're going to kind of switch up the focus over time. But right now, the innovation group is really focused on AI and exploring the tools that are out there for um, AI for copywriting and content and marketing in general. 
I'm really excited to have a few folks on the team who are doing a deep dive into that and really thinking, thinking hard about how we can bring it into our process in a way that helps our clients. So I'm really excited to see the outputs of that and how we can incorporate it into our services and then what kind of use cases we can find for AI that are, um, that are a win-win for us and our clients. Sounds good. Well, Meg, thank you so much for chatting with us today. Thank you both. This has been great. Yeah. So where people can find you is on your LinkedIn um, and then at megawattcontent.com. So, and you guys also have a, I know you alluded to your content marketing efforts. You guys have a newsletter. So check that out. Yeah, we have a newsletter. It's called, um, if I can just give a quick plug, it's called Dear Watson. Uh, We send it out every Friday. Um, and it answers just one quick question that we've either gotten from a client or that comes up really frequently related to content marketing. It's often more operational, like how do we get reluctant subject matter experts to talk more, things like that. So if you want to sign up for Dear Watson, it's megawattcontent.com slash content marketing newsletter. Nice. Well, that's it. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. If you learned something today or left, tell somebody about the podcast. Thanks for listening. Find our other episodes on agencies that build.com. Plus we're listed anywhere you find your favorite podcast.